The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message by Beth Coppage. I have begun to give, begin to possess, and we'll begin reading right at the first verse. So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over, that their hearts melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives for yourselves and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And, in, and this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt, who were males, all the men of war who died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the desert until all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. Then Joshua circumcised their sons whom he raised up in that place for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. So it was when they had finished that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore the name of this place is called Gilgal. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. And they ate of the produce of the land on the day after the Passover. Uh, um, on leavened bread and parched grain on that very same day. Then the manna ceased on that day after they had eaten of the produce of the land. And the children of Israel no longer had manna, for they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and he said, are you for us or are you for our adversary? And he said, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have come to you. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and he worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord have to say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your feet for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. O Holy Spirit, come now, we pray, in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit. And we pray you might anoint, you promise that your word 
would not return void. And we pray today you might use your word to touch every one of our hearts. Is not like my, my word like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. And that, God, you would come today and break the hardness of our hearts, begin in my own heart, and let the searchlight of God be in our souls. And open up this passage of Scripture so that we are never the same. We are never the same. We go out from this day different than when we came in. That, Lord, there's a transformation that occurs. Father, apply the knife of the Holy Spirit to our hearts, even as we speak. And, Lord, let there be a transformation that occurs today, not in one life, but in many of our hearts, so that we become women after God's own heart, Jesus women, who knows what who know what it means to walk with God. Now, Lord, we just thank you, and we look, wait expectantly, and we look to you, dear Lord Jesus, in your name, amen. It's an interesting thing that it starts out here, and what happens in the first few verses of this chapter? They cross the Jordan River, and what is the response in the people of Jericho and in the Canaanites in that land? What does Scripture say? Their hearts melted with fear. How long has it been since the non-Christian world hearts melted with fear because you and I were in the community? It, it doesn't occur. But they, God was so in the presence of the people of God and God was doing supernatural works so that the whole world around said, there's something different about their, those people. They worship a God who actually works on their behalf and said, we're terrified of him. He's able to part Red Seas. He's able to part Jordan Rivers. He's able to feed them for 40 years in the desert. There is something supernatural about their God. And God had so worked in their lives that the neighbors around them gave testimony to the transforming power of their God. Now, it's one thing when you and I give testimony of what God's done in our life. It's another thing when the neighbors who live next door to us give testimony to what God is doing in your life and my life. Is it not true? Because we can think we're one way, but it's an only evident when it begins to be evident to those who live around us, say, there is something different in that woman's life. That woman knows God, and God works for her. And do you know what I think is beginning to happen here that never happened in the wilderness experience? They have entered into the Jordan and have left the sins of the flesh in that Jordan and are willing to go even to the death to come up out of the Jordan and enter into the promised land. So they find themselves having gone through the Jordan and they are on the threshold of the promised land and the place that they stand is a town called Gilgal and it means to roll away. Now if you and I were planning the chart, were charting the military adventures of the people of God you know what I would have done? I said, now we're on a roll. Let's go for it. Let's go for broke, and tomorrow morning just start out and hit Jericho with everything we've got. But do you know God doesn't work like we do? Here they've got the people are terrorized, and their hearts are melting with fear. And God says, wait a minute. And he delays them. They sit there for four days with with Jericho here, and they're in the plain, very vulnerable position. And then he says, wait a minute, you're not clean. Have you heard that before? We dealt with it last week. 
And scripture's dealing with it again in chapter 5. You're not clean. Because of your disobedience, when you wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years instead of trusting me and obeying me and believing in me, when you wandered around in the wilderness, you did not go through the experience of circumcision, none of your men did, to identify you as covenant people, people of God. And there's no way you're going into battle until you have been marked with a covenantal sign that you belong to me. And the only way the covenant can be input into your life and into into their life was to have the mark of the knife applied to every male of the children of Israel. And there's something symbolic in that. So that circumcision was to be mark of their covenantal relationship with the eternal God. In the most intimate part of a person's life, there was to be the mark of their relationship to the eternal God. The most intimate part of their relationship of oneness with their wife was to be the mark of the cross, the mark of the eternal God. The most intimate part of their relationship as a whole person was to have the mark of the cross at the most intimate part. And do you know what they had to do to be willing to become a covenantal person? They had to submit to the knife. And every man bore it in his body for that wife. The women were touched because once again, that was a symbol of Jesus bearing in his body the sins of the world on the cross so that you and I would not have to die, but we could appropriate God's forgiveness through the blood of Jesus for your life and my life. And in that way, the husband was the symbol, just as Jesus was the one. He was a symbol of the reality of the Lord Jesus who bore in his own body our sins. And so what we have today is though before they could go in and conquer Jericho, they had to get rid of the reproach of the years of wilderness and they had to allow themselves to be submit to the knife of the cross. Now God's saying to us today, before you and I have spiritual power in our lives, do you know what we, or have a true relationship with Jesus Christ, the only way to have a covenantal relationship with the eternal God is to allow him to apply the knife of the Holy Spirit to your life, to my life, to your heart, to my heart, to the deep inner recesses of our souls. And we talked some about that last week. Remember when we talked about the keys giving Jesus every last key. And sometimes you say, well, Lord, I think I have. And what God wants to do is before we go up into Jericho, he says, I've got to make you gut level honest. Is there anything you are holding back that could be a beachhead for the enemy in the years to come? Because that that we do not surrender gives the enemy a foothold into your life and into my life, into your heart and into my heart, that the enemy can use to bankrupt us in the days and years ahead. And at first we don't see it. It is very similar to cancer. So that what you, we have to submit to the surgeon to get rid of it. Because if we allow it, even if it's just small, and the beginning is almost minuscule, If we allow it to stay there, it has the potential to destroy us. And he says, that's what sin's like. It may just be, you say, it's just a little sin, Jesus. I know it's all right. It doesn't matter. And it has the same potential in the spiritual life, only it is for eternity 
and it will make a difference where you and I spend eternity. God has to deal with sin, and God is not mean and cruel. God in his love is like that surgeon that says, will you submit to the knife so I can cut this out and you can be free from sickness? and your life can be extended. It is in that same way that God deals with us. Anything in our hearts that stands against what God stands for is sin and it needs to be cut out and cleansed, healed, purified, and scrubbed clean. And the only thing that does it is the blood of Jesus. It's interesting sometimes to be in the prayer room or to be counseling on retreats because you know something that happened 25 years ago if you and I sin, there's something moral about sin. And if you and I sin 25 years ago, if it has not been brought to the blood of Jesus and we have not asked forgiveness and it has not been cleansed, do you know what? That is just as real today as it was 25 years ago. You go in a prayer room and somebody will say, well, it happened in eighth grade. <laughs> I was a sophomore in college. And I just let sin get in at this point. I didn't really mean to. Nobody even knows about it. It's all covered up. Just, but it's not. Because there's a moralness about sin. Sin has got to be dealt with. And only Jesus' blood can cleanse it and wash it away. God is asking us today, will you and I submit to the knife of the Holy Spirit and come clean and, is he, and give him permission to shine the spotlight of his Holy Spirit on the inner recesses of our heart? Because God doesn't want us to live half-baked Christian lives. And do you know why so many of us seem to lack spiritual power so that we don't have an influence in our culture, so that we can teach Sunday school for 35 years? We can go even witnessing. We can do all our religious work, but no one's life's changed. No one's led to the Lord. No one has found Jesus. That we go through all the religious processes, but we don't have any spiritual fruit. Could it be because we've never allowed the knife of God to cleanse and purify every part of our heart? Could it be that we've come up to God and God says, say, Lord, I'm willing to come to seminary. I'm willing to leave all and come to Wilmore. Isn't that enough? And Jesus says to them like he did in the first chapter, would you be willing to go any place I sent you? Wilmore's hard enough, God. Surely this is the ultimate in consecration. He said, would you be willing to go wherever I want to send you? Wherever? Or is there a no in your heart? No, I don't want to do that, God. And I'm willing to serve you, but I will not surrender that area. God is asking today, if you want to know me and want to have the fellowship of my sufferings so that the influence of your life, my life in you, impacts a lost world, you and I need to let God get hold of our souls. I read this week, last week, I read the book Memorial Stones about little grandmother Matthews. She wrote it at 83 for her children and her grandchildren to tell how God had worked in her life. And she was the great-great-grandma, the great-grandmother, the grandmother of George Luce for the Luce Center. So this is how it connects with Wilmore. She said that when she was a little girl, she had a very violent temper. And she said, one day I got so angry at my brother because he would not let me in his room, and I thought I needed to be in there to tell him something, 
that she said, I banged on the door with both my fists and I split the door and I was nine years old. And she said, my mother came to me and she said, if you had gotten hold of him, you could have killed him. We have got to pray for you that God can deal with your temper. And she said, I was aware and I was afraid of the intensity of my anger as a nine-year-old. She said, I got saved. And she said, but then God dealt with me about the fullness of the Spirit and surrendering every area of my life. And she said, do you know what? When God filled me with his spirit, one of the greatest days of my life was when one day, I was a mother by this time, she said, my two children were fighting. I had just gotten them all dressed. They were all ready to go out. And I had stuck them in the front yard while I put my clothes on. Does it sound familiar? And the little brother got the hose. He was seven. And he began squirting his sister. And then his sister went and took, went for his juggler, and the two of them were fighting in the front yard with the hose. And so they were totally wet, totally muddy, totally everything. To add insult to injury, the, my little boy reached up, and to get away, I went to get a paddle, a switch to spank him. As I went to get it, he reached up and tore the sleeve of my very best dress. The, my very one, the one I was going to wear, I had to speak at this thing. It was the only good dress I had. She was a, a preacher's wife, and she said, he tore the sleeve out. And I just stood there astounded. But she said, I'll never forget it. It is an Ebenezer in my life, a memorial stone. God moved in, and I didn't yell, I didn't scream, I didn't stomp my foot, I didn't swear, I didn't throw him across the yard. She said, God moved in, and she said, I stood there and said, Jesus, now what do we do? <laughs> and the sleeve was an accident. I dealt with the other thing. I sent them both to their rooms, and I went in my room, and my heart was flooded with joy. I said, God, only you, only you could do that for me. Take that kind of temper that knocks a hole in a door, uh, breaks a door, and can transform it under those kind of circumstances. We were to be somewhere. She said, you, she said, only you. She said, that's one of my Ebenezer's I'm leaving to my children and grandchildren. Don't you love that? It's so practical for where we live. She said she went to the speaking appointment. She sewed up her sleeve, only option, sewed it up as best she could. She said, and went and spoke. She said, at the end of the meeting, I just shared. Somebody, she said, I shared about what God had done, and I reached a new victory in my life. And as she finished, a lady came up, and she said, I bought this for you today, never knowing what happened in your life. She opened it up, and it was a beautiful new dress with all kinds of embroidery that was her perfect size that had both sleeves. <laughs> Isn't that precious? She said it was a red-letter day. She had allowed the knife of the cross to reach into every part of her soul, and so the Holy Spirit was free to begin to transform in the nitty-gritty of her motherhood, in the nitty-gritty of where the rubber hits her road. That's what Jesus wants to do for you and I. We live such defeated lives. Such, oh, and we get impatient and irritable. We need to have God come in so that those times become less and less. And so that God gives grace for us in the nitty-gritty of our lives. And we begin to say, 
Oh, one of my Ebenezer's is when God gave me peace and I didn't yell like a screecher creature, God moved in. That's what God wants to do for us because God is interested in setting us free. In setting us free. Maybe you and I have to die to ministry. Do you know, remember the story of Samuel Chadwick, the great preacher? He ended up a great, great godly preacher. And as he was a young preacher boy, they said, you need to stay at Jericho until you grow up. You just look so young and you're so ignorant. Your only hope, Chadwick, if you want to serve the Lord, is to have powerful preaching sermons. And you need to work on those sermons. That's your only hope. So he took that to heart and worked and worked and worked on his sermons. And for seven years, he worked on his sermons and preached. Not a soul was saved. But he worked hard for God. And said one night he went before God and he said, God, why isn't there more fruit in my life? And the Lord said, Chadwick, it's those sermons. You're trying to do it in your own self-effort. You need to die to them. And he said, I fought with God for three hours, till three in the morning, until finally he said, I took every one of my carefully worked sermons and threw those into the fire and said, Lord, well, it's up to you. And Jesus said, that's where it's needed to be all along. <laughs> and he said, I die if I'm a failure. As a preacher, I'm a failure. That's right. That's my business. If I can't make it as a preacher, I can't make it. That's right. That's my business. You don't need to work for me. You need to be a clean channel through whom I can flow. Got up the next morning, didn't have a sermon, shared what God had done with him the night, that night, and seven people found Jesus. He said, God gave me one for every one of those, a soul for every barren year I preached in my own strength. Are you and I serving Jesus in our own strength? Is there anything tonight, today, you love more than Jesus Christ? Could it be your little children? Could it be your husband? It is so easy to get our love to and as good as motherhood is, as good as wifing is, as good as a job or a career is, none of them are worthy of the, our love and adoration. Jesus and Jesus alone, just like our hymn, Jesus and Jesus alone. He's the only one that's big enough to be God in our lives. Then the next thing that happens, after they get through the circumcision, they're vulnerable and humiliated at the foot of Jericho. So the enemies could come in at any point. Here they are, absolutely stripped and vulnerable. Enemy sits here. Here we all are and can't move. And God says, oh, we say, yeah, now let's go. God says, no, we're going to have a party. He said, wait a minute, God. First we have surgery and then we have a party. He said, yes, that's what we're going to do. We're going to have a party. Because now you've got your, the reproaches rolled away. Now it's time to enter fellowship with me. And if you're going to go into battle, you need to learn to feast on who I am. No more do you need manna. That fed you in the wilderness. You need food that comes from the promised land. And to do battle, you need to eat food that comes from the promised land. And do you know what the food was? It was the Passover, where the death angel passed over in Egypt and everyone who had a blood applied to the door and they ate the Paschal lamb and fellowshiped one with another. And if you and I are going to know God and walk with God, we have to get so the love of our life is spending time with Jesus. 
so that we feed on Jesus, the food of the promised land, the Paschal lamb. We feed on Jesus and let Jesus just refresh our hearts. Do you love him? Is he your very best friend? Do you enjoy him like it says in the Westminster Confession? The I have this on my wall because sometimes I work for God and not let God work in, through me and in spite of me. Question, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And I keep it right there so I can think, Jesus, am I enjoying you? So that the sweetest time in your day is that time you have your quiet. So you can feed on his faithfulness. Your weakness, he can fill with his strength. Your insecurity, he can fill with his security. Your feeling of loneliness or unloveness, God can feel with, oh, I loved you so much, I died for you. So that God can come in and make that quiet time the absolutely sweetest time of our day. But you know what I've found? I've found that when I have sin in my life, I'm not too interested in having quiet time. And if the knife of the cross is not cut, touched every area and keeps on every area, I do not give God permission. It is easy for the enemy of my soul to get in there. And do you know what happens? I don't want to get too near Jesus because it's just, I just am a little too busy. It's just not convenient, Lord. I love you, but because then I have to get into an honest dialogue because he won't stand for me to be dishonest with him. And I think the majority of us in Christendom live below our privileges. One, because we do not want to let God deal thoroughly with sin. And two, we do not want to enter into a love relationship where Jesus has all our love on a daily basis. I remember, and I've told this story before, but I think it's applicable. I remember, remember when God talked to me about going next door and witnessing to my neighbor in Hall? And I began to have that quiet time every day and, um, and, and in an in-depth way. And God said, I want you to go and tell Kate Tracy about Jesus. I said, oh, I feel afraid. And I said, Lord, do I have to? And so I went over to tell Peg Tracy about Jesus, and I stuck a four laws in my bag and went over to do the laundry over there. And t did I say a word to Peg Tracy about Jesus? Not a word. And I came back and very spiritually went to have my quiet time. And the Lord said, that time I went to him, and the Lord said, I'm not here till you obey. It's better to obey than have your devotions. And you have something you need to do. You need to go tell Peg Tracy that I love her and I died for her. And I said, Lord, I am scared to death. He said, well, I'll go with you. I said, Lord, I can't see you. He said, well, just trust me and I'll go with you anyway. I said, Lord, could you give me courage here? He said, as you go forward, step by step, I will quicken the courage in your heart. So I went over, knocked on the door again. Peg said, you have more laundry? I said, no, I have to talk to you about Jesus. And she saw my little booklet, and she said, oh. And she took me by the hand, led me up to her bedroom, knelt down. This is no joke. And she said, I have one of these, and I've got it, and I got it at a bookstore. I've read it every night, and I don't understand it. And I was wondering what it means. And she said, I saw it in your basket this morning, was hoping that you would 
give it to me, but you just went home and I was so sad. And I sat there dumbfounded at God's, he went before, he's not calling us to go where he hasn't, he had already gone before, and that woman was sitting over there, and she said to me, she didn't know Christian jargon, she said, I was just ready and falling off the bush, and you didn't come see me. I just falling off the bush, like we talk about falling off the vine. She was falling off the bush. We knelt down at 63, she asked Jesus into her heart. 63. God wants us to walk in obedience, and he wants us to get in our quiet time so we begin to hear the voice of our shepherd. And that when God begins to nudge our hearts and say, I want you to talk to this one or that one or the other one, there's a freedom in us to talk and to share what Jesus Christ has done in your life and mine. Is there a freedom to do that in your life and mine? We need to have God explode himself in us so that there's ability in our hearts to be able to share him with others. And the only way we can do that We've dealt with sin, and we've come to a place where we're feeding on his faithfulness so that there's a power to do the will of God and an empowering by the Spirit of God. Then the next thing, and the last thing, is when you and I get ready to go into battle, like they were getting ready, if we are going to possess the promised land, the beautiful thing is when we feed on his faithfulness, of the promised land, which is Jesus himself. What does he come? What did he come to Joshua and say? Joshua is thinking he's going out by himself. So he goes out. Joshua was by Jericho, and he lifted up his eyes, and behold, who was there? <laughs> the second person in the Trinity, the Lord Jesus himself. Do you know if you and I walk in obedience? Say, yes, Lord. Do you know who will be there by you? Jesus. Jesus. And he says, Beth, the battle isn't yours. It's mine. Beth, the battle isn't yours. It's mine. And I'm the one that's leading this battle. All you have to do is follow me and obey. So that nothing becomes too difficult for you in your life because he has gone before. He comes with his sweet presence, and he goes before. The time that I experienced this the most in my life was when God called us, back, called us to Columbia. And I'd had one baby in Columbia, and then I was pregnant right away with a second baby. And while we were there, I got dysentery, and I was very sick. And I'd flown home through my brother's wedding to a kind aunt sent me the money. And I got so ill in America, and they didn't know how to treat dysentery, and I thought I'd die till I got back to Columbia, and they could help you get fixed up. And um, as I got ready to leave, I thought, God, I can't go back. I don't speak Spanish well. It's too difficult. I miss home. I'm pregnant. I have one baby. Another one's coming. I just feel overwhelmed. I don't think I'm going to do what you've called me to do. And Al had already flown back, and I said, I'm going to call him and tell him I love him, but he can stay there, but I'm staying here. <laughs> so I was at the Miami airport, and um, I sat, I, before I decided to move into this rash decision, I called home. 
And I shared it with my mom. I said, Mom, I'm not going back. You cannot disobey him. And she said, I think your daddy's getting off in the Miami airport right now, but I don't know where he's coming from. Then she goes, he'll be in a brown suit. And I laughed. I thought, well, I... <laughs> and then she said, maybe Tampa. And I looked up, and right across, I think you've been with the Ridleys, right across from my phone was the Tampa exit. And about five minutes, who walks out? Talk about God caring. Who walks out? My father. And I cried again and said, Daddy, I'm just not going into the Lord's will anymore. It's too hard, and I quit. And this is not what I expected. And he said, seeing it a chance to the way you and I have a relationship together of such closeness and love is all because of Jesus. Every good thing is because of Jesus. And if he is stretching you in ways that you do not want to be stretched, just let him stretch you and say, Jesus, even if I perish, I perish, I will obey you. And I said, I don't want to. He said, you don't have to want to, just do it anyway. And he says, as you go forward in obedience, like going to Peg Tracy's door, I will meet you. He will meet you. He will meet you. Only he can meet you. So sobbingly, have you ever done that? I got on the plane, Avianca, with my one-year-old Katie Beth. And I sat down in one chair, and she was in the next one. And then Jesus was in the next. And I didn't see him, but he was there in a way I've never known him before. And he came and he knew I was a young mother with two babies far away from home. He knew it was difficult. He knew I wasn't fluent in Spanish. And when I still got back there, it was still the same way. Nothing had changed in circumstances, but the eternal God had met my heart. He had come and met me, and I thought, I can do this as an act of surrender and love and abandon to you, Lord Jesus. And if I perish, I perish, but I will have obeyed you. And that's what God is asking today, not for our fruitfulness, not for our abandonment, but for our abandonment to him. He doesn't want us to work for him. He wants us to love him and say, Lord, I trust you even though it hurts right now. I will surrender to your will for my life. But none of us are willing to do that. So the heart of God has pain in it today because God isn't cruel. God is a God of love. And he knew there were some things in my proud little selfish heart that he needed to deal with, and he needed to get me out of my comfort zone so he could set me free and begin to set free the inner parts of my being that needed the knife of the Holy Ghost applied so that the cancer of my selfishness, my self-will, my pride, and my stubbornness could be broken, and the rest of my life, God could begin the process of making me a woman like the, is on his heart for me. That's what God wants to do for us today. Does it hurt? Yes. Is it costly? Yes. Is it worth it? Yes. Do you know why? Because the eternal God comes in a covenantal relationship with you and with me that we will never get over. And when those we enter into that kind of relationship, our neighbors begin to say, that person knows God.
and you don't even have to say anything. There's the dynamic of his presence in your life and mine just because we are available, clean, surrendered, and in love with him. Where are you today? Where am I? God's longing not to hurt us, but to set us free. He's longing to let us, the cancer get out of our spirits, set us free into all the fullness of himself so that the intimacy of our life, the most intimate place, is our walk with Jesus from torn sleeves to peanut butter and jelly to fighting children to caring for a husband to working at the typewriter that all of it he would sanctify and out of it would come a contentedness because we are doing it for Jesus. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, we praise you and worship you today. And Lord, we praise you that we could have a relationship with you where you would come in and set us free, and then begin to, to set us free from our selfishness, our self-will, and begin to heal and cleanse and purify so that, Lord, we could begin to think of someone other than ourselves, thinking of you and then of others. Oh, God, and begin, use, begin to use our lives as broken bread and poured out wine. Lord Jesus, even as yours was to feed a lost and broken, and that, Jesus, out of our lives, there could be that brokenness that you could feed the lost and broken world. Oh, Holy Ghost, oh, come today. Come to our hearts. And let there be those of us today to say, yes, Jesus, apply the knife of thy spirit, the knife of the cross to anything in my life that would give a loophole or a stronghold for Satan so that, Lord, you can set me free, so that I would know you, I would feed on you, I would fellowship with you, I would know what it means to walk with the eternal God. Oh, Jesus, we just praise you now. In Jesus' name, amen.